Bibles and turn to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 65. Again, guests, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Pray that God has already blessed you through uh, the time of worship that we've had together. If this is your first time here or you have been missing for a while, how are we doing, David? We found it. Uh, if you've been missing for a while, then we are or have been doing a series about Jesus, which I think it's always good for the church to talk about Jesus. What do you all think? And we've been talking about how Jesus, from his crucifixion, through his resurrection, through his ascension, um, and about his return, and so we've looked at various aspects of Jesus Christ as the King of kings and Lord of lords, from the fact that he went to the cross on our behalf and his death on the cross serves as an example in humility, service, and dependence for each one of us. How he is the risen king and that the resurrection, I love the passage in Ephesians that talks about that the greatest demonstration of the power of God is when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God the Father. He is a risen king, he is ascended king. That the truth that many times we forget is that Jesus Christ is ascended on high. And it's kind of hard for us to get our heads around the fact that there is a bodily Jesus, uh, a real Jesus in heaven. I think many times we think of Jesus as kind of a spiritual being after his resurrection. But he was raised bodily from the dead and he ascended into heaven in a bodily form. It's important because we have one like us in heaven now as both the first fruit, an example of what we're going to be like, and he's interceding for us. He's praying for us. We're not left here by ourselves. And Jesus Christ is going to return. We have the promise of Jesus' return. The timing is unknown, but we have the promise that it will take place. We're to live. We are to live as if Jesus could return at any instant, and at the same time as kingdom builders, we are to live as if it might be 100 years, 200 years, 1,000 years from now. We're to build generationally, but prepare as if he could be coming at any moment. That tension that the Bible talks about, about the return of Christ. But even the return of Christ is not the end of the story. Because we have a king who will reign forever. Reigning forever, Jesus Christ as the re- reigning king. In Philippians, uh, Paul says this. He says, I strain to reach the end of the race and to receive the prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us up to heaven. Paul sees this great race being run and the race, the end of the race, so to speak, is where? According to Paul, it's up in heaven. There's a, there's a visual for the end of the race. I'm pressing now for the end of the race, which is heaven. In the message, uh, Eugene Peterson puts the same passage like this. I've got my eye on the goal. God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm often running and I'm not turning back. Let's keep focused on that goal. Those of us who want everything that God has for us. So stay with me here just for a second. Paul says, as I run the race of life, where do I fix my eyes? On heaven. I have a goal, I, I, and it is heaven. Now, 
as you're running the race of life, where would you say you're fixing your eyes? What is, what is it you're running toward? Uh, I'll try to keep the racing analogies to a minimum, but if I were to say we're going to have a fullness, oh, let's go low. Let's go for a fullness quarter mile run. Um, <laughs> if I were going to say we're going to do a fullness quarter mile run, and just said, okay, hey, everybody, go. Can you handle that, Rob? You're with me? You can go to the quarter mile, walk, run. You're going to get there. Anyway, if I were to just say, okay, go run a quarter mile, you would probably say, okay, where? When? What direction? Uh, where should I be running? Many of us are running the race of life as if there is no goal. We're just kind of, we even worse, Many times we pick our own goal. We decide, oh, you know what? Here's what I'm going to run toward. I'm going to run toward security. I'm going to run toward money. I'm going to run toward relationships. I'm going to run toward a name. I'm going to run toward retirement. I'm going to run toward godly children. I'm going to run toward family. I mean, we pick goals, and none of those goals that I just mentioned are in and of themselves bad, but they are not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is that Christ has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. There's a passage in Isaiah that talks about, it's a prophetic picture of what's going to take place. And so this morning, I really want to talk about the reigning king, but I really want to talk about heaven. What is what is heaven like? And why is it important for us now? In other words, we can look at heaven like this. I know I'm preaching all over the place, but just hang with me. Um, many of us, we have no idea what heaven is like, so heaven really doesn't impact the way I live my life now. You know, I really can't figure out what heaven's like, so I'm, I, what does it matter? What does it matter? I'm, I'm going to go to heaven when I die, but I'll worry about it then. The way the Bible implies and Paul teaches and other passages speak, heaven should impact and influence the way we're living our lives now. It should make a difference in the way we're preparing for eternity. So Isaiah talks about this a little bit. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17. He says, look, I am creating new heavens and a new earth. By the way, this is God speaking. This is in Isaiah. God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah, but it's, it's God saying this. He's going to create the new heavens and a new earth. So wonderful that no one will even think about the old ones anymore. Be glad, rejoice forever in my creation. And look, I will create Jerusalem as a place of happiness. Her people will be a source of joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. And the sound of weeping and crying will be heard no more. No longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will adults die before they have lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at 100. Only sinners will die that young. In those days, people will live in the houses they build and eat the fruit of their own vineyards. It will not be like the past when invaders took the houses and confiscated the vineyards. For my people will live as long as trees and will have time to enjoy their hard-won gains. They will not work in vain, and their children will not be doomed to misfortune. 
For they are people blessed by the Lord, and their children too will be blessed. I will answer them before they even call to me. While they are still talking to me about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayers. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. Poisonous snakes will strike no more. In those days, no one will be hurt or destroyed on my holy mountain. I, the Lord, have spoken. Isaiah promises in this passage, Behold, God saying, Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. In Revelation, John sees this same vision, so to speak, and hears from the Lord, who says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Let me um, give you my theological view of what's going to take place. I think that many of us, when we die, we believe that we're going to go to heaven and that we're going to live in heaven for all of eternity. Now, I believe that at this moment, when you die, you will go to heaven if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But the Bible paints a picture of that not being our permanent location for all of eternity. Instead, the Bible preaches, teaches that when Christ returns... And we are raised bodily with him. And I know this is a lot to get your head around, but when we're raised bodily, physically with him, we're given a a resurrection body, so to speak, of which Jesus Christ is the first example of what that's going to look like. His resurrection body is like what ours is going to be. We don't know how it's going to look, but there are similarities and differences, and you can pick what you'd like to have uh, in those days, but it's going to be something physical. And then God is going to reorder the earth. He's going to create a new earth where we, well, Christ reigns over the new earth. It's a restoration of order. All creation is groaning for its restoration. And we will occupy this new earth. Sound good to you? Uh, Honestly, it sounds better to me than floating on a cloud with a harp in a choir robe for all eternity. I mean, that's just, that's my idea. Uh, Isaac Asimov, a, a science fiction writer, an atheist, says this, I don't believe in an afterlife, so I don't have to spend my whole life fearing hell, and this is interesting, or fearing heaven even more. For whatever the tortures of hell, I think the boredom of heaven would be even worse. I mean, what he's seeing is that, that ethereal picture of going to church for all eternity. You know, where you're in a choir robe, you're in a choir, you're floating on a cloud. This idea that heaven is, I mean, there are a lot of people who would say, if, if that's what heaven is like, I'd rather go to hell and drink beer and shoot pool with my friends for all eternity, as if that's what hell's going to be like. But that's their picture. I'd rather be doing that than going and floating on clouds and playing harps for all of eternity. The devil has robbed us of God's picture of heaven, and I'm going to use heaven in conjunction with this new earth idea, the new earth at where we're going to spend eternity. Um, In Revelation 13, 6, speaking of Satan, it says he opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name 
and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. I mean, one of Satan's goals is to rob us of the joy of heaven, to rob us of the picture. And I believe in in 21st century kind of mythological Christianity as it exists on the earth, that there's this idea that heaven is this floaty place versus the reality of a resurrection body. Where, where are these resurrection physical bodies going to inhabit once we're all raised? I, I think the Bible is clear. We're going to inhabit a new, a new earth in which God dwells and relationship is unhindered. Psalm 1611 says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. Our belief that heaven is boring, I believe, betrays a heresy. The heresy that it betrays is this. We believe that God is boring. We think God is boring. However, did not God create everything and everything that he created is good? I I am a believer that if we taste and see that God is good, there's a, a joy in it. Not a boredom, but a an endless joy of being in his presence. I've, I've had the privilege of being around some boring people, and some of you maybe uh, see me in the same light, but um, the first thing that you want to do is get away. At least that's my response. How do I get out of here? How do I find a place that is not here? Look, what kind of picture of that is... If the psalmist is saying, I, I want to be in your presence. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand is pleasures evermore. I cannot see that God is a boring God. God created food to taste good. He created sex to be fun. He created uh, laughter. He created joy. He created humor. God created it all. Those are not man's creations. Those are God's. God is not a boring job. I... I God. I believe we're going to have fun in heaven. I believe it may look different than my kind of look right now, but I still believe it's going to be a place of joy in life. Here's our challenge. We think that life now is normal. This is is what normal life looks like. But I would say we are mere shadows of what God created us and intends for us to be. And that when we reach heaven or this new earth, that the normal that God has for us is so far beyond what we're experiencing right now. In his book, the closing of his book, Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them. Um, I love that title. Um, John Ortberg writes about heaven. And he says this, you will know as surely as you sit there reading this now that you must be with him, that life would be nothing without him. Being a very wise groom, he will say, this is the moment. This is the union I have longed for since before you were born. Enter into eternal life and joy. Then no one will be lonely. No one will be alone. No one will be foolish or fallen or do anything they regret then finally the human race will no longer be the as-is department of the universe. 
Then, for the first time since Eden, everyone will be the person God intended them to be. Then we will discover that what we call the end of our lives is not the end at all. It's only the beginning of chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. I love this line. And we will all be normal at last. In line with that, what are we going to be doing with our reigning Christ for all of eternity? And I believe that these three truths about what we're going to be doing for all eternity should impact and influence what we're doing now. Because, I'm just going to give you the end line first, if these are the things that we're going to be doing for all eternity, God is prepping us for this time. I I believe that now till when we die, we we are destined for this new heaven, this new earth, as Paul Bilheimer puts in his book, we are destined for the throne. And when we're ready for the throne, God will have the throne ready for us. And we are getting ready for what we're going to be doing for all of eternity. We're not going to be perfect at it. We're not going to be some of us, but we're moving forward. You with me? Perfection right now is not our goal. Heaven is our goal right now. We're just trying to, through grace, move forward. So what are we going to be doing for all of eternity? The first point is we will worship God for all of eternity. People who love God crave his companionship. They crave being with him. Imagine what it's going to be like to see God face to face, to be with him through all of eternity. Several pictures of this, many pictures actually in the book, of uh, Revelation as well as the rest of the Bible, but especially in Revelation. John says, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Also in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verses 9 and following, John says, after this, other stuff has happened between 5 and 7, but after the things he saw there, he said, after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. John is overwhelmed by the worship service that he sees in heaven. Again, I believe that there are many people who see worship as boring. Uh, One of the reasons is because, let me give you two reasons. One, which may sound a little harsh, is that uh, we go to boring churches. Uh, We go to worship services that are dull or lifeless, and we look at heaven or this new earth as being one eternal church service, and we're turned off by it. John is overwhelmed by what he sees. 
The second um, truth is this. That's a warped view of worship. In other words, worship is not, we say this over and over again, but we've got to get it in our hearts and heads. Worship is not merely what we do here on Sunday morning, right? Are you with me? We need to get this, that worship is what we do every moment of every day of our lives. Every moment, whether we, whatever we're doing, we're declaring the goodness of God. Paul says in Corinthians, whatever you do, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Every act of your life should be done as an act of worship before the Lord. One of the truths is this. If you can't do an act as an act of worship before the Lord, you probably shouldn't be doing it. So, if we will worship God for all of eternity... I believe that what we're going to be doing will be in his presence in a very real, very special, very dynamic way, but it's not an eternal worship church service. Just like we're living life now, like what we're doing, what we do will be done with unhindered fellowship before him and in his presence. We'll glorify God and enjoy him forever. Psalmist says, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauties of, beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Second point, we will serve God. We will serve God. I don't believe our service of God is just all being part of a choir. I mean, I think singing in a choir is one way to serve God, but we'll be doing stuff in heaven or on this new earth. God has a purpose and a plan for us. Notice that in the Bible, service, service work is a reward, not a punishment. Hello? Work is a reward, not a punishment. Most of us see work as something we have to do in order to eat and hopefully to save up enough money, thinking that if we'll be, if we'll be faithful then we can with our money, then we'll be able to retire at a certain age and live comfortably. So we view heaven kind of like um, I'm doing my work now with this promise of an eternal vacation in front of me. Kind of like all I'm going to do is uh, sit on the balcony in Destin for all of eternity, see the white sand, enjoy, enjoy the ocean. But actually the Bible paints a different picture than that. Revelation 7.15 says, Therefore they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. Revelation 22.3 says, No longer will there be any curse, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. Service is active, not passive. It's what we get to do. It's a joy. Here's the problem with work as we have it now. Work as we have it now is all in some way influenced by the curse that happened when Adam and Eve fell. And now they've got to toil. Now they've got to labor. Everything is in a state of decay. 
So most of our work that we're doing now is really to combat decay, right? I want to show you some decay. This is my backyard. Uh, it really, these pictures, um, this is as good as it gets. I, I spent probably five hours at least over the last two days trying to battle the decay of my backyard. I mean, the weeds are trying to take me over. The, the, I have this, like, um, what do you call a gap between fences where the power line is? An easement. I have an easement that nobody takes care of. It's like four feet between my fence and my neighbor's fence, and it is a snake-infested uh, garden of nothingness, of chaos. It is proof to me that chaos reigns, where things are untended, it, I don't even know the names of the plants and the weeds that grow in there. I'm afraid to go in there other than wearing like waist-high boots to try and cut anything down. And the power company doesn't seem to really care that much about their property between mine and my neighbor's yard. What I'm saying is this. We all are fighting decay. We're fighting decay in our own bodies. We're fighting chaos as it rules and reigns with, uh, around us. We have... We have no clue what it is to serve God without the curse that John is talking about in Revelation where he says, no longer will there be any curse. We're going to serve him. We're going to work. Our serving him will be used to uniquely reflect his glory. Adam and Eve in the garden, which is a preliminary picture of what this new heaven and new earth are going to look like, they still were given assignments, right? They were told to subdue the earth. They were told to work it. They were told to to do stuff. Now, they had the privilege of doing those things without the curse being engaged yet. We, too, when we take over the new earth, We'll be serving God. I don't know exactly the capacity. I don't think that picture is totally clear. But we'll be doing something. Which is really, I think, good news. It's really good news. Especially um, for some of the men I know. I know your, your, your last thought of the glory of heaven is being in choir for the rest of your life. And you would rather say, I want to do something with my hands. I want to make something. I want to build something. I want to, I want to serve God in some capacity. You're going to get that privilege. And we're going to get it in a way that we're not combating things coming against us in a spirit of decay. You may be saying, well, what about rest? Do I ever get to rest or am I going to be working for all eternity? This is my belief. My belief is that rest is built into the fabric of the created order. Even in the Garden of Eden, God said and rested on the seventh day and I believe instituted that into the fabric of man uh, to rest. I don't know what service versus rest, I don't know the identical look of it, but I do believe it's a part of what we're going to be doing. Again, the Bible seems to talk about this partying and feasting going on as well. Now, some, to some, that may appear sacrilegious um, that we're going to be partying in heaven, but I'm going with it. I'm going to go with the idea that we're going to have 
uh, parties and feast times in heaven. I, I believe there are some things we don't know the imagery of it versus the reality of it, but to me the imagery of a feast and a party is that we're going to rejoice, have a good time with God and with each other without the blight of all the junk we have to deal with now. Hello? I mean, think about it. Think about going to a party and having a party where the fallenness of sexual tension is not present. And you can just relax and enjoy being with people. You don't have to worry about if you hug somebody on the side or the front. or the, you, know, you could just love people because you don't have all that junk. Think about going to a party where there's absolutely no racial tension involved at all. None. I mean, if we've seen anything, we see the fallenness of man that no matter where we live in this country or this world, we cannot get over racial, economic, religious tensions that impact and influence all the rest of our relationships. What a great picture. If the lamb and the lion can lay down with each other, black and white, male and female, it's going to be awesome to serve side by side with each other in a way that glorifies God and enjoys him forever. Third point is this, we will rule the earth. We will rule the earth. A couple of scripture passages, and I'm just hitting some highlight scriptures today, by the way. There's many, many others, I believe, that talks about these same themes. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. We've got a throne waiting for us. Hallelujah. Luke 19. Well done. This is Jesus saying. The king exclaimed in his parable. He says, you're a trusty, trustworthy servant. You've been faithful with the little I entrusted to you. You will be the governor of ten cities as your reward. Reward. Uh, we get to reign over the new earth with Christ. Now, let me just say this. If you skip to point three without going through points one and two, you are going to be in a bad place. In other words, if you go straight to, hey, I get to rule, you're going you're to see heaven as a power grab. Kind of like, oh, I'm going to rule and reign over something or somebody. Listen, I, I believe that worship and service are the foundational elements that lead to us ruling and reigning with Christ. If we don't, then we're just going to be these power-hungry people, which is, again, a temptation for all of mankind. But in heaven, we'll reign with Christ, we'll exercise leadership and authority, and we'll make important decisions. Again, I can't tell you exactly what those important decisions are going to be. I don't really have that depth of insight. But as you look at the Scripture, we lead, we rule, we reign, we worship. Revelation 5, 9, and 10, another passage that talks about this, talks about worship taking place. And look at the last sentence. He says, you have made them to be a kingdom and priest, that's us, to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. We're going to rule and reign as we serve and worship. All three pictures are in this passage, worship, service, reigning. God is going to give us authority. 
Again, I don't know everything that's going to take place, but one of the things we'll do right at the outset is we'll be given the, the authority to judge. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world, Paul says in 1 Corinthians? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Paul is encouraging the church in Corinth to take authority over the things that they can judge at that moment as a, as a sign or as an example of the fact that we're going to judge everything. Use this as kind of a template over your view of heaven. In other words, Paul is saying, look, if you're going to be doing this for all of eternity... Start practicing now. Use it now. As an example, get ready for that day. Get ready for heaven by doing what you're going to be doing for all of eternity now. Are you you with me? So, if we're going to be worshiping for all of eternity, and every act that we're going to do is an act of worship before him, what should we be doing now? Worshiping. We should be declaring the worthiness and greatness of our God. If we're going to be serving God and serving others for all of eternity, what should we be doing now? Serving. If we are to exercise authority and leadership, what should we be doing? Exercising authority and leadership in our sphere of influence where God has given us. Yesterday, Cheryl did a presentation on her Um, doctorate. We congratulate Cheryl and her uh, getting her doctorate over the past um, week. And as is is right at fullness, she's number one in her class. We we go for, anyway, (laughs) very proud of her. But one of the, she was talking about leadership, leadership among women, and how we help encourage women to become leaders within the kingdom of God and society and authority. We should be doing that now across all ages, ages, genders, races. We should be saying, we're going to all rule and reign with Christ. Let's begin now. Let's begin to exercise leadership and authority in our sphere of influence. I believe God is calling us to a prize, to the prize of heaven, to the end line, the goal. And if we keep our eyes fixed upon that, it'll impact the way we live our lives now. Richard Mao says over and over again, the scriptures make this plain, the political power which has been so corrupted and twisted in the hands and hearts of sinful rulers must be returned to its rightful source. And it will be. Closing, let me read you just a couple of quotes. This is uh, by a book I highly recommend called by Paul Bilheimer called Destined for the Throne, which is really a view of how heaven impacts the way we live our lives now. But he says this, Therefore, from all eternity, all that precedes the marriage supper of the Lamb is preliminary and preparatory. Only thereafter will God's program for the eternal ages begin to unfold. In other words, everything we're doing now is getting ready for that. We have some glimpses, like worship service reigning. We know those things, 
But what we're doing now is preparing us for that. It goes on and says, God will not be ready, so to speak, to enter upon his ultimate and supreme enterprise for the ages until the bride is on the throne, that's the church, the bride is on the throne with her divine lover and Lord Jesus. Up until then, the entire universe under the sun's regulation and control is being manipulated by God for one purpose, to prepare and train the bride, us. Verily, God is the Lord of history. We may look around and say, this is out of control, but I want to say to you, we serve a sovereign God in which nothing is out of control. It may not look to us like we think it should. It may not look to us like we would, it's not the story we would write, but God is the God of history. And his purpose is to prepare and train the bride, his church, for his ultimate purpose. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. I want to encourage you this morning that when you leave this place and you go out with your family or you go with friends or you go to work, you go to school tomorrow, for those of you who are still in school, uh, wherever you go, whatever you do, keep your eyes on the finish. Run the race. Run the race with your eyes on the finish line. Don't get distracted. The finish line is heaven, but not heaven like, oh, I get eternal vacation. Heaven like God paints it. An act of worship, a place of service, a job, a duty to rule and reign with him. And ask God when you get up in the morning, God, how do you want to prepare me now for then? What do I need to unload? What do I need to get rid of out of my life? What do I need to pick up? What can I do in a greater way? that will prep me for my eternal job. Doesn't that sound good? Wouldn't that change your perspective of how you're living your life now rather than being centered upon what makes me happy or what gives me satisfaction, but rather on how do I get ready? And in the readiness, how do I see the kingdom of God expand around me? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we have the opportunity to taste and see that the Lord is good. You are a good, great, awesome God. And Lord, today we confess that many times we take our, our eyes off the prize, off the finish. And instead, Lord, we focus on ourselves. We focus on our own stuff. We focus on things around us instead of focusing on you. And I pray, Lord, today for each and every one of us that we would refocus. Or the, the obstacles that we see in our, that we think are obstacles in our way, Lord, may we see those as like spiritual weights preparing us for the glory of the future. Lord, we are overcomers. We're, we're more than overcomers because you, Christ Jesus, have already overcome. And Lord, I pray, thanking you for the, the truth of this new heaven, new earth. Lord, we 
are so limited, we confess, in our understanding of what it's going to be and look like. But Lord, thank you for the glimpses that you've given us now to prepare for that. Spirit of God, move in our hearts and our lives. Change our perspective so that as we live our lives, it'll bring glory to your name. May we go from this place as worshiping fools who serve you without hesitation, understanding that we are anointed as leaders in the kingdom of God, every one of us, male, female, young, old. Give us opportunities to serve and to lead. May the enemy's accusations be silenced in our lives so that we can understand not only our destiny but our call today in Jesus name